Welcome to the pen and the yod. This week's Torah portion is Pinchas. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshe Emmet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about Pinchas, a zealot, a reactionary, or a freedom fighter, and a hero. Let's talk today about one of the most challenging characters in the Bible. And now that's quite a statement already. His name is Pinchas, and he is a zealot. And he is a hero, but in the spirit of the 90s, he is a um, dark hero. Right? He's a hero with flaws, sort of, a, sort of a midnight cowboy kind of guy, you know, 70s and all those taxi driver kind of heroes. Remember those movies? Oh, sure, I do. Um, I don't think it's confined to the 70s. Uh, no, I think there's so many um, complicated heroes. Um, you know, almost every hero is really complicated, some of them darker than others. But you know, heroes are human, and um, we sometimes prefer to ignore their flaws. And often, in order to be great, in order to really challenge the establishment, in order to really be bold and revolutionary, you have to be a little crazy or at least a little bit um, fearless, uh, to put it kindly. That means some eggs get broken along the way and some feet get stepped on and some enemies get made. And there's a fine line between, you know, a revolutionary and a nut. <laughs> That's a great setup for Pinchas because at the end of last week's portion of Balak, the king, King Balak, comes up with a new way to try to destroy Israel by sending in... Midianite women, and there is a orgy that ensues, and things get so out of control that the people are being threatened by God. God's going to destroy them, and Moses seems to be befuddled by the situation, and it continues to reel out of control, and suddenly Pinchas stands up, and he takes some sort of pointed implement, and he kills people. And as a result of that, everything stops. The people stop. God is appeased. And so in a very real way, Pinchas saves the day, but he saves the day by murdering something that he is a vigilante by any definition. And the portion this week, which is named Pinchas in his honor, is sort of the aftermath of the story. So how often in history do people, you know, kind of come to the fore because they were the ones that stood up and did something that under normal circumstances would not be allowed, would not be legal, but yet they saved the day. Yeah, although sometimes they do it and John Wilkes Booth, for example, thought he was acting heroically and thought he was going to save the day, right? It's a matter of values. It's a matter of which side you're on. It's a matter of who's telling the story because vigilantism is named vigilantism because it's outrage of active rebellion and it's one man taking the law into his own hands. The fact is, is that the winners write history. Yes. So we look at John Wilkes Booth that way, but there are those who were more sympathetic to his cause who would say, well, he ended Lincoln. We ended up with Reconstructionism under Jackson, which was blunted and actually turned on its head. So maybe John Wilkes Booth was, for some, that heroic zealot. Absolutely. That's, that, that's my point exactly. And um, the vigilante is following his passionate beliefs that he's doing the right thing. Or as I said earlier, he's a kook, but cast that aside for a minute and just consider that these vigilantes believe they're doing the right thing and it's worth the risk of violating whatever laws they might be violating to get this job done because they see something that needs to be 
corrected it and they're willing to sacrifice their own lives necessary to change what what they believe is unacceptable. So that is a great introduction to this week's Torah because Moses and Aaron, who are the establishment figures, are clearly angry with Pinchas. And they need God to come and say, did he do the right thing? Did he not do the right thing? And God does come and speaks to the situation. And God says that, in fact, Pinchas saved the Jewish people. Moreover, God now then makes a covenant of peace, a breach shalom. So in a kind of a brilliant way, Moses is silenced because he thought perhaps that God was going to come and say, you know, under no circumstances are you to take the law into your own hands. There must be, you know, the establishment sets the law and we have to go in an orderly fashion. Otherwise, we're going to have chaos. But that's not what God says. God does say that there are times when a person should, does the right thing by going outside the law. But at the same time, God, in a sense, takes Pinchas out of the zealotry circuit, if you will, and says, you know what? From now on, I have a covenant of peace with you, so you can't do this again. You can't be a hired zealotry gun whenever you feel like. So it's an interesting balance, don't you think? Yeah, because what kind of a precedent does it set if um, if Pinkas is allowed to do this, then can anyone take the law into their own hands? Can anyone say, no, this has gone too far. I can't allow you to continue down this path. I'm going to handle this myself. And we've seen plenty of rebels say that, you know, if a law is unjust, it should be broken. And that is a way of teaching that law is unjust. But then again, who gets to decide whether that law is unjust? And, and in this case, it seems like Pinkos isn't saying that the laws of homicide are unjust. He's just acting to stop something that he that he believes is sinful. Right. So history ultimately is going to be the judge of whether or not the act of zealotry was the right thing or not. That's how I think we ultimately judge these things. But there's also a deeper question here, I think at least, of the importance of respecting the government, the importance of respecting the arms of government to reach a just solution. Because if we're going to continue to go outside of that, then what happens? How do we go forward? And it sort of brings up a really interesting question about today, doesn't it? And, our, and the world in which we live, where everything is in doubt. Everything is in doubt, whether it's the free press, whether it's the arms of government, whether it's the branches of government, everything's in doubt, and including the role of police and the people who are supposed to be protecting us. So in this world, there are people who are taking risks and saying, we have to go outside the system if we're going to reach a just solution. And there are people who are saying, no, this is anarchy. Other people are saying this is the only way to reach justice. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is one of the great um, wrestling matches of, of living in a democracy. We are told that we are free, that the government is for the people, by the people, and we are supposed to challenge authority. That's one of the things that makes our country great. And yet we have to respect the law as well. And it's really, I mean, the police issue is is such a fascinating one because we're taught from the earliest age that the police are helpers. They're there to help us when, when we have problems. They're there to help settle matters of dispute. When something goes wrong, you're supposed to call the police. But that has a very different perception if you're raised in a different community. If you're raised in a poor African-American community, you may not feel that way growing up. You are very likely not to feel that way growing up. So 
how does that change that level of authority if the entire community can't trust and feel safe and feel like the laws are designed to help them? And then how does that change our relationship to the law? I think that's exactly, I think you put it so well. I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about driving on Lakeshore Drive and driving by one of those speed traps. And if I do that, not that I would ever speed, of course, but in theory, <laughs> if I'm driving and I see those blue lights behind me pulling me over, I'm angry. I'm thinking about the expense of this. I'm thinking about my record. And I'm also thinking about insurance. That's what I'm thinking about. And I'm upset. And then when the policeman gets out of the car and walks towards my car, I'm going to get my license and registration. But what I'm not feeling is fear from the policeman. I don't feel that. That's not my experience of it. So we have to acknowledge the racial disparity in our own country at this point in time, and that something does need to be done. We are living in a moment of real change, and there are people who are willing to take the risk to get out there and do this. In fact, you might argue that people who are marching right now in a period of pandemic are doing something that's zealous. They're saying, I'm not willing to put my children at risk, so I'm going to risk my own life to kind of create real change. That's a zealous action. That's right. And the people who are willing to, to, to be arrested right now are doing it even more directly. And that was one of the great tactics of the civil rights movement. They sought to be arrested. They sought confrontation because they felt like that was the only way to show vast parts of America who were out of touch just how unfair the laws had been. So getting arrested was a way of generating sympathy for their cause. And that means uh, in a pacifist way, in a you know, nonviolent way, challenging authority and saying that sometimes it is appropriate to break the laws. Um, you know, vigilanteism, violent vigilanteism is in some ways a logical extension of that theory. It, it's much more risky and it's potentially by bringing violence into the equation, you are doing much more than passive non-resistance. But nevertheless, the, the philosophy behind it is the same. There's no question. I, those iconic pictures of people sitting at a diner or at a Walgreens and sitting in the whites-only section and feeling the tension as they are the, and, and not being served and waiting. And then looking at these people who are just normal, everyday people who want change and thinking about the risks they were taking in that moment, but also understanding the argument against it. You know, why can't you just get along? This is the way it is. This is the way it's always been. We're happy. This is life here in the South. How dare you? What gives you the right to want to create these kinds of changes? I think that's the same argument today. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, that's what infuriated Martin Luther King so much that prompted him to write the letter from the Birmingham jail. It was the fact that all of these white religious leaders sent a letter saying, be patient. It wasn't that they were trying to deny him their rights. They were saying, we agree with you, but please be patient. We're all working on this together. And King said, it's easy for you to say, be patient. You're not the ones who've been suffering for 400 years of slavery and segregation. Don't tell us to be patient. We can't be patient anymore because we can't afford, you know, we're dying. We can't afford to do this anymore. And that's what I guess um, someone like Pincus is saying, like, there's no time to stop and consider this. Something must be done. Right. And things are in a dangerous moment. And if I don't do something now, things can just explode. I was thinking as you were talking about what Malcolm X once said. He said, you know, stab me with a, a nine-inch knife and you pull it out six inches. Don't expect me to say thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, sad but true. Right. It's like, don't be, I, the knife is still in me. Forgive me for not being patient, but I'm not going to be. So this is the role of Pinchas and how do we respond at a flashpoint? Pinchas acts, but what the Torah tells us is that we can't have a steady diet of Pinchas. What's interesting is that even though Moses is at the end of his tenure, right, he's already been informed that he's not going to the promised land. What you might have expected was that Pinchas would now become the leader. He'd say, okay, here's the guy who saved the day, kind of comes in on his white horse, make him the leader. God says, no, but the zealot is not the one who can lead you. He played a role at a particular moment, but we need to have more sustained, more balanced leadership. And it's an interesting point that I think we have to look at as well. Who leads? How do we go forward? Right, the person who... um wakes us up, the person who carries out that act of rebellion is often not the best person to lead. They serve their purpose. And then if they're lucky and they're not thrown in jail for this act, then they um, usually find themselves sidelined because that's those kinds of people uh, in my, you know, just to generalize a little bit, the people with that kind of temperament to take that kind of forceful, decisive action are not often the best people to lead for the long term. The greatest example of that is Winston Churchill, who basically saved England from Hitler and maintained the English people and gave them the resolve to stay in the war and to endure the bombings and then ultimately win. But the next election, he was voted out of office. He was a wartime leader, a great zealot, but could not be the peacetime leader. So we'll see how things turn out in our day because we are in one of those moments, aren't we? We are, and uh, hope that uh, we see a turn up for the better. Well, I think the breach shalom remains an important idea, not only for Pinchas' time, for our time as well. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Thank you, Rabbi.